Hello and welcome, and good Shabbos. It's not even Friday. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper, and I'm your host, David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening and no one cares, the show where every episode's, well, the last episode. Today, an esteemed guest, a woman I love a lot. She's a friend of mine. She's a sexual health and consent educator. Her name is Samantha Biddy. Let's roll the tape. and consent educator Samantha Biddy for whatever this show is. Samantha, always a fucking pleasure to have you here. So nice to see you. I am so looking forward to getting into it with you because of all the people I've ever worked with, I feel like I censored myself the most when talking to you and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with I wanted to just go deeper. I wanted to go more in the gutter. I wanted to go, I don't know, just not worrying all the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, having conversations about sex requires the use of certain language that we weren't allowed to use and uh, concepts or things that people, you know, might be uncomfortable with or could be subversive in some way. And so you being like such a default subversive person. um, (laughs) Thank you. I I think a lot of people would take that as an insult. I take it as a compliment. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, that's why I like you. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, we definitely had to have conversations at a certain level that then as soon as we weren't recording, we could have the real conversation about those things. To be clear, we were doing interviews for corporate, commercial radio, whatever, for those who have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. But Samantha, little note, we were supposed to tape this a few weeks ago, um, and you were just... it was the day you got a tattoo, and I was really looking forward to taping with you. Uh, I had to put it off because we, we ended up releasing this thing later, blah, 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 blah. But uh, how was that, too? They were on the back of your legs, is my understanding? Yeah, it was on the back of my thigh. Um, it was good. Like, my tattoo artist is so – she's so fast. She's so, um, like, tender-handed. And so it was pretty uh, – it was pretty manageable. It was pretty good, and it felt good, and I really like it, and I've been waiting, like – 20 years to tattoo the back of my thighs so it felt like a big you know a big choice and a big deal and yeah it was it was good it was a good day and then I had my like nap after as I as I often do are you like me every time you get tattooed you're like a whiny little child screaming you have to warn the artist beforehand that you're going to be whining the whole time and you say oh my god it hurts oh my god it hurts oh my like no matter how many hours of tattoo that I've had I'm like a child getting it every time are you anything like that or not no, not at all. Like I, t- I take it well, you know, like I can, I can really, you know, I can really take it. I, there's very few spots where I've been like, okay, like this is spicy and I need some time. And like when I did my shin, um, which was like also partially my ankle, which I don't know if it's because I have like metal in there from an injury, blah, 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 blah. But at certain points I was like yelping, I was sweating. <laughs> the other tattoo artist who's in the shop who knows me was like, oh my gosh, like what? Like you don't, I normally don't, like I've had my knees tattooed, my chest, my hands, my back, like everything. But yeah, for whatever reason, like ankle, shin, 
it was fucking disgusting. I was like, did I give birth? Like it was such a painful experience. <laughs> um, That's but otherwise I'm pretty good. I keep still, I can, I can take it. I'm, pr- I'm pretty good. And uh, I don't even take anything before. Like some people will take even just like an Advil or something. And I don't, so. I can't take it. I, I can't take pain. I'm a, I'm a wimpy little child. Uh, back of the thigh though, definitely the sexiest spot to get a tattoo. I, I was telling you this and you laughed at me. I think those like, I don't know when and when these were popular or how they became popular, but back of the thigh, like fake pantyhose tattoo. Most people think they're tacky. Um, I think they're so sexy. I don't know why. Uh, what do you make of those tattoos? Very importantly, you have to distinguish that there's typically bows and then maybe like a back seam kind of going down the back of the leg. So for me, I, similar to you, like I grew up in that era of when that was, you know, a sexy thing. And I think that part of the, uh, like the attachment to it is the like sexual awakening, the kind of like rocker, uh, again, like subversive kind of girl who would have that suicide girls, if you will, that sort of thing. And so that day I asked everybody in the tattoo shop, like, okay, like, what do you think about this? They're like, yep, hot, love it. Um, I asked my partner, he was like, yeah, I can get, like, I can get behind that. Like, no pun intended. Like, I it wish was, I could get know? behind that. Jesus, <laughs> fuck. Mar- my girlfriend Miranda offered, because I told her about this, and she's like, no way. And then she thought, you know what? If you get me some nice temporary tattoos, by all means. I'm like, wow, that's such a nice compromise. Well, I have your address, so I will Amazon <laughs> Prime. So, you know, the post, post-Valentine's post Day gift for you. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Did you, uh, you, you texted me on Valentine's Day, happy fuck first Valentine's. Uh, I know this is, I, I, I don't want to talk about Dan Savage, that podcaster. I, some people, there's a lot of opinions on him, whatever. Um, but I got this from him and it's this idea that you go out for this decadent meal, usually on Valentine's, or maybe you get this decadent home cooked meal with a dessert. You share the dessert. If you're drinking, I don't, you don't. But if you are drinking, you have the red wine, the heavy red wine. Afterwards, you just want to sit on the couch, unbutton your pants and moan, not in a sexy way because you've eaten too much, right? Yes. So who wants to have sex after that? Not me. Not most people. So you got to have sex before the dinner. It's the fuck first Valentine's. Fuck first is very important. And I think that like, even within a lot of relationships when you're, so I don't live with my primary partner, right? So when we hang out, we only see each other a couple times a week where we kind of, we both kind of assume that we're going to smash. We don't, you don't, we don't always, cause I'm fucking depressed, but like whatever. And it's almost like a s- unspoken agreement that if we like order food right away, that if we are going to fuck, it's like going to be literally 15 minutes or like, it's not happening. It's like, we both kind of know there's like, okay, if we're eating the meal, it's like, there's no, there's no, there's not going to be any sexual activity. We're just going to like watch the last of us and like, oh, he's going to go home. <laughs> I can't get behind zombie shows, but I do like the last of us. This could be, uh, this is a whole other topic and a whole other conversation <laughs> because I don't really, I don't really care for like zombie shit either. I do love dystopia. I do love apocalypse, like imagining what that looks like. I really enjoy this show um, because of the human element. And I also, I grew up with like Resident Evil, mm. like on PlayStation, right? Mm. So for me, that kind of like game storyline that was more elevated than just you know, Super Mario or whatever. Yeah. Um, is does ha- I do have like a soft spot for it. So like I'll fuck with Silent Hill and like 
but whatever last of us has done really well and Pedro yeah. Pascal is fine ass. So it's like, I like the show. Like this is, he's like daddy. And yeah. Anyway, I, I just saw Pedro Pascal in that uh, Nick Cage movie a few weeks ago. It was called uh, the, this unbearable weight of great talent. I don't know the exact name of it, but Nick mm-hmm. Cage plays himself. It's, yes. It's I've like, heard of that. It's yeah. very like, almost like being John Malkovich level of surreal mm-hmm. And Pedro Pascal, he plays this like Catalan gangster that has a homoerotic obsession with Nick Cage. And so I had just seen that. It's like a very sort of silly, like flamboyant uh, character. And then I saw him do that. Uh, and he was playing a, like a Catalan or a Spanish person. And then I see him playing the guy in The Last of Us. I'm like, what the fuck? How The range on that guy. He is also Oberyn Martell from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then... Bella Ramsey, I think their name is. They're non-binary or they're gender fluid, rather. They played Leanna Mormont in Game of Thrones yep. when they were like literally seven or so. Both of them have so much range. And I'm watching the show and I'm like, I believe you. I believe all of this. I'm in the world and I really like it. But to the point, Dude, go ahead. If we're talking about characters who did two things with great range, the um, what's the guy from Parks and Rec with the big beard? <laughs> Oh my gosh, Nick Offerman. Okay, but uh, let me get this out first and then we'll go back to Nick Offerman. The guy who's like Nick Offerman's husband. Uh, yeah. He also- he was pl- in White Lotus. He was Armin from White Lotus. Yeah. That's crazy yeah. to me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. You, were, you were saying a lot of things. But I had to get that out. You were talking about Nick Offerman. No, but you're right, both. But like that episode, so like as someone on Zoloft- it's like really hard for me to cry. Okay. Like I can't, unless I'm like getting my period, I like can't cry. And um, which I'm getting my period. So like, maybe I'm going to cry while we're recording today. Love but it. Um, in that episode, obviously I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I start crying and Jacob yeah. partner, whatever he looks over me. He's like, he's like, yeah, it's somebody he's like this. Like, cause he know, cause he knows I can't cry. He's just like, <laughs> Like, oh, I was just like tears. I was just like, gay love is so superior. Like, I just I was bawling was so like superior. 30 minutes in, and I was just crying and oh, crying. Yeah. I'm like, and then I'm looking at how much there's left, and I'm like, I got 30 minutes more of crying ahead of me. It was exhausting. Beautiful. I'm very emotionally stunted. Like uh, someone could leave me, a friend could die, I won't shed a tear. Um, yeah. the stupidest TV, not that this was stupid, but the stupidest oh. TV and movies can make me cry. Uh, I've, I cry every airplane ride because whatever I'm watching makes me cry. That Mr. Rogers movie with uh, Hank. I would never. With Hank, uh, what's his name? Uh, God damn. Yeah, Forrest Gump. Why am I blanking? Oh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. That's I got The Hanks screwed me up. <laughs> Tom Hanks plays Mr. Rogers, and I, uh, I I cried the whole plane ride. And the air the air flight attendants were asking me if I was okay. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I could use a Kleenex. See, I would never because I typically won't watch anything if I think it's going to like evoke emotion in me. Like I'm very much a, like, I just, you know, I watch baseball. Like I don't, I don't want to like feel emotions. I don't want to use art as like a mechanism for like experiencing the oh. like range of humanity. Like I just don't, I, I typically avoid it um, if I can. And so when it catches me off guard, I'm like, Oh, I just thought we were going to have like a nice little dystopia end of the world moment. And then you have me out here thinking about like the power of love and purpose and like, just. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm not a, I would never watch a Mr. Rogers movie. You ever. just said something that was so powerful to me. And you just said it uh, almost by accident, 
that you don't like to use art as a way to experience the range of humanity. <laughs> this is where yeah. you and I differ. I need art to experience that range. Uh, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe that means I'm emotionally stunted. I want to create art that lets people experience that range. Mm. Um, this is where you and I take a rapid departure, Samantha. Well, what I would say is that in terms of like motion picture art, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily like open myself up to, you know, watching or engaging with stories that could potentially touch on something that I'm not trying to touch on. I'm more inclined to go the route of like visual art or, you know, like paintings, prints, that sort of thing uh, to experience the range of humanity and human emotion. I want to watch stuff to like completely escape from humanity and emotion. <laughs> I can't get behind visual art. It's impossible for me. I just, I, it, I, I'm not a visual person. I have a very bad visual memory. Okay. I can't even remember people's eye colors ever. I forgot mm -hmm. Miranda's eye, colors, eye color a year into our relationship and she got really mad until she realized I just don't. I can't look at a painting and feel anything. And that's probably why Andy Warhol's my favorite artist. Because for me, there's so much more there. The idea of using the life as the canvas, the idea of fascination of celebrity, blurring the line between the public figure and the private figure, a fascination with people. Like that's all baked into the art. And that's why I love them. I don't actually like those cans of soups, even though they're my favorite piece of art. You know what I'm saying? But I think, I mean, that might be a, an accessible way to look at like that artist is accessible to you for that reason. Mm -hmm. But I think like, I think all good art asks deeper questions and how it's portrayed, how effective that is or not is, is kind of where, you know, you either have empathy to this like inanimate thing or not. Right. And so um, I'm actually redecorating my entire apartment all at once because my everything that was in my place that used to like bring me joy or make me feel something just feels like a pandemic prison and i'm just like no i need to like feel like this year is different i need to have a different relationship to my space and so i've been like really focusing on like changing my eye lines and all of those things so i've been thinking a lot about art and how it makes me feel and there's certain pieces of art that i have that are like so beautiful and that i love but they like evoke grief or they like evoke um I don't know, some kind of emotion that isn't exactly like on track with where I'm trying to go or what I'm trying to be. Like, I literally want like a framed picture of the opening one second of Rihanna from the Super Bowl performance. Like, I'm like, that's the art that I want. Like, I want to, that makes me feel something. Um, and so that, I mean, I, I always say fuck art and I hate art. Um, but what I mean is, is that I only like good art. Sure. I just mean for me, visual <laughs> art is so difficult to get that. But mu I can get it from music. I, I can listen to like uh, like a lyricless song and, and be in tears. Like I can listen mm -hmm. to jazz or like I, I can. Yeah. Music, uh, movies, books, podcasts, radio, like that stuff deeply grips me. Um, and it's not just sadness, like a, a great interview where I'm like, what's going to happen next when I'm listening to it, that can fill me with a sense of wonderment that just in my curmudgeonly misanthrope life, which I hope we'll get to as we talk about sobriety later, um, yeah. I just don't have like the feeling of wonderment in my life much. And I love that feeling and art lets, so I just, uh, this idea that art is a way to experience the range of humanity when actually experiencing it in my own life is so difficult because I'm so yeah. checked out or everything's so painful to me or I'm so anxious or I'm so insecure or whatever it is. 
to me, that's like why I love art and why I like art making. Um, but I get, I get that you were just saying it about TV and movies. Like I get, I, I'm not, I just thought it was such a fascinating thing to have said, Samantha. Mm. And it's not, you know, it hasn't always been true. I'd say that uh, it became true when I got sober. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, I actually feel everything all the time at every moment. So like I'm, I'm taking a break from that when I, you know, and, and there's, of course, I dip into meaningful film and television and all of that. Uh, but I have to be in the right headspace. And I also, I think one of my strategies is like watching things with other people. So speaking of actually with The Last of Us, because you and I have talked about this when we've worked together previously about cheating on someone with a show. <laughs> and so can I just set that up? That's when you lie yes. to a partner having watched ahead a show that you're supposed to watch together. Right. So uh, when The Last of Us came out, Jacob had like proposed to me that we watch it. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want to watch another zombie thing. Like, I was indecisive. And then he, unbeknownst to me, watched the first two episodes. And so one day we're hanging out and I'm like, hey, like, why don't we check out that show? Like the last of us, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, let's, let's watch it or whatever. And we're like, I don't know, halfway through the first episode, not even halfway through, maybe like 10, 15 minutes. And he's like, we have to pause this for a second. I'm like, okay. I know where this is going. Like, I have to tell you something. Yeah. He's like, I have to tell you, like, I've already watched the first two episodes. I don't know why I'm lying. Like, I just. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the responsibility of the liar to maintain the lie. The grief he felt at lying to me, like, as if I gave a fuck. I was just, I was like, baby, like, it's cool. Like, do you mind watching it again? Like, that's the only thing. I'm like, otherwise, like, I'll, I'll get caught up. Like, it's not that, it's not like you're in and you're like, not like how you cheated, which you can talk about or not, but, uh, and especially now that I've watched station 11, I'm like, wow, Miranda should have broke up with you over that. Like that was such an important final episode. But anyway, I just thought it was so funny how grief stricken he was, how guilty he felt. And he's like, I don't even know why I'm lying. Like, <laughs> just, that's so funny. Like, yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned like uh, always feeling all the time when you got so sober. It reminds me of the Hulk where they're like, "How do you prevent from being angry?" And the Hulk's like, "My secret is I'm always angry." I feel that way about anxiety, oh. Samantha. <laughs> like people are like, "How do you not get anxious to be a performer, to be on the radio?" When I was doing stand up to do stand up, mm -hmm. and it's like, "No, no, 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 no." I'm as anxious to have this conversation with you as I am to public speak in front of a thousand people. Uh, my superpower is not that I don't get anxiety; it's that I always have it just baseline yeah no i i really i really relate to that um i saw a meme the other day that was like anxiety is so dumb like what do you mean i'm afraid of hanging out with my friends <laughs> <laughs> it's like how do you shut up the voice that's in your head telling you that you're worthless it's like uh, what do you mean how do you shut it up it's just always there it's just there it's yeah. there i i didn't hear the phrase like you're lovable until I was like a grown adult as like a way of thinking about oneself. It's like, you're, you're not just loved, you're lovable. I was like, they weren't even talking about me. They were just talking in general. I was just like, Oh wow. Like that's wild. I've never heard that phrase. And it's not because mm. no one said it to me, Samantha. What do you mean? I've just, I, if someone says that to me, I, I, I can't hear that. <laughs> I, I lack the ability to comprehend that phrase. Uh, and that's the short version of my childhood. Samantha, a few things I want to talk to you about today. Um, you know what? We're having fun. You want to go into a game? I got these dilemmas for you. I would love a game. It's called What Would Samantha Biddy Do? 
Got some dilemmas for you. I'll lay them out and ask you what you would do. You ready? I'm ready. Yeah, share a home with your partner. They only want to have... I would never. So this is already moved. (laughs) All right, solved. (laughs) Uh, Go ahead, go ahead, go Uh, ahead, go ahead. A friend shares a home with their partner and is seeking your advice. (laughs) Better? Um, The partner only wants to have sex with them when they need to take care of things like chores, errands, maybe even this year's taxes. Um, Whenever they have real free time, the, the partner doesn't want to have sex. It's only when they need to get shit done. What would you do? Okay, so the scenario is that this is too it's too convoluted when it's a friend. So <laughs> why well, you I refuse the scenario? I know, I know, I know, I know. I your partner um, only wants to have sex when you need to get shit done. That's it. when I have stuff to do, or when they have stuff to do. Like shared responsibility. That's why they live together. So like you need to clean the house. You need to like sign up the kid for school next year if you have a kid. You need to do your taxes right. together. Whatever it is, whenever that stuff needs to get done. That's when the sex drive is high. When there isn't stuff to do, the sex drive is low. Okay, so my first, my initial answer is the one that I gave at the beginning, which is like, you don't live together. Like, that's the solution to that, not living. Because domesticity, what, in domesticity, you're more likely to be like, no, we're not going to fuck. We're going to do these dishes or whatever, right? Um, that's my kind of like cynical answer. My optimistic answer, what would I do is that I would make up pretend tasks and and to get like a, you know, like a vibe going. Like I would I would like put something out of place and be like, oh, we've got to clean up this garage or whatever. And because we have a garage in my fantasy home that I live in <laughs> with no one that I can ever afford ever. In the suburbs. Uh, it's a 10-car garage. It's a, yeah. it's a hangar. You've got a hundred minivans in there. It's really nice for us. Yeah, I've got a farm and everything. Um, our garden. Yeah, no, I would make up tasks if that's like how they got their like, you know, like how they got in the mood. I just feel like I would just like make up tasks so that that yeah. I love that frame. You're curious about why maybe they got a kink for like procrastination sex rather than mm-hmm. just getting angry uh, and then give them mm-hmm. an outlet for the procrastination sex so you can get your taxes did. Yeah. Love yeah. It. All right. This one. Or, might be- or get a task rabbit to do things for you. Um, Cause I own a home. Like I have this home and I have my garden and everything. I can afford a task rabbit. Um, they can, they can do the, the lawn mowing. Well, while I have sex. Um, I moved to San Francisco in 2012. That's like a very techie city, Silicon Valley city. I don't know that people knew I was coming from Toronto. I didn't know what a task rabbit, what it is, what it was. And I had this Ikea to set up and I had to work and my ex-wife didn't want to set up the Ikea. And I was just hanging around a friend who was very entrenched in Silicon Valley. I had just moved there and she was like, why don't you get a task rabbit to do it? And rather than ask what that was, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what is it? Ta- I thought it was like a guy who shows up in a bunny suit. I, I don't know. Every time people <laughs> say that, I think of that. All right, let's play a game of Would You Rather. All right. You ready? Yep. I'm going to. This one actually comes from you and the rest come from me. Uh, would you rather a partner who has an awkward name for their junk or an awkward name for yours? Oh, yeah. I forgot that we we joked about that. Um. Oh, it's so hard because I feel like both are such a turnoff. Like, uh, I think I'd be better able to blank out them having an awkward name for my junk. I've had a partner have an awkward name for mine. Didn't bother mm. me that much. I don't know it, if it would bother it me. If, it did. It did. It didn't. I mean, I didn't love it, but it's whatever. Um, but I don't know if it would bother me the other direction. So I, it's like the devil, you know, so I'll take awkward name mm. for mine. 
Right. Yeah, no, I guess. And I mean, it depends on like which body part, right? So it's like, if it was a partner who had a penis, I'd be like, it would really turn me off if they had a weird name for it. But if it was a partner who had like a vulva, I don't know if it would in the same way, but I know that I know that if it had a weird one for me, I'd be better able to dissociate from it. I think than if they were constantly like, oh my, whatever. Yep. So yeah, interesting though. Huh? What was the name? Yeah, it was my ex-wife's name and Miranda's in the other room and she's going to hear it. I just don't want it. I, I, uh, you should text it to me. <laughs> it's like so cringy. I can't, I can't, I, I can't physically say it. It'll ruin my life. Um, okay. Well, you married that person. So, I did. okay. My better question then would be, did the awkward name for it evolve over time? Like after being married or was it from the beginning? And you chose to marry someone who had an awkward name for your dick. Fuck, Samantha. I, it was like almost 10 years ago that my ex-wife and I separated. I honestly can't remember where it came from. Mm. Yeah. But do you remember it like while you were dating or while it was like while you were? Both. Married Both. it, married okay. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. To me, that line is, to me, marriage meant nothing. It was just the, with the time to split up is when it really made the difference. Everyone's like, mm -hmm. oh, marriage changes things. I didn't feel that way. It's like a stupid hmm. contract. Like, who cared? It was funny. I could be like, my wife this, my wife this. Neil, I know that uh, artist, Canadian artist Neil Young would always say, my wife Peggy, my wife Peggy, who I think is dead. R.I.P. Peggy. But I just thought it was funny to call her my wife Peggy. Um, yeah, it didn't make a difference, marriage. It's just when we went to split up, it made a huge fucking difference. Right. I mean, my divorce was just finalized officially last month. Muzzle tov. Thank you. So exciting. I'm like, oh, I'm like actually a divorcee because I too was separated for like 10 years before getting divorced. And so I haven't, it didn't really, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's like official then. Like, you know, I was never getting back with that person, but also I didn't have any like separation of assets, et cetera, that you like, but like my divorce was like super, super easy and chill. Like, so yeah. no comment. Um, <laughs> all right. No it comment. Cause you have like an NDA. <laughs> I didn't say that. You did. Uh, <laughs> now, keeping with the awkward names, let's transition to like awkward baby name. Like I, there's that Seinfeld episode with like Schmoopy. Uh, my dad used to call me little Davy Pooper. What if what if <laughs> maybe little Sammy Pooper? I know you don't like being called Sammy, but for the purpose of the baby name, that's the cringiness is there. Would you rather a partner have an awkward baby name for you only use it during sex or use it loudly in public? <laughs> Well, I'm like a bit into like LG stuff, so I don't know. That's hard to <laughs> uh, define LG stuff for those who don't know. I'll pretend that I do know. Okay, so like DDLG is like Daddy Dom, Little Girl stuff. So like I don't know, like a weird baby name. I might be into that. It's hard to tell. So in bed or um, in public, you want it? I don't know. That's why it's hard. It's really it's hard to tell. You'll take it's both. Yeah, could be both. Both. I like both are good. <laughs> I'm like into that stuff, but there's like weird. Like for example, the word panties will just shut my girlfriend down. Like she cannot hear that word during sex. Underwear is fine, but like other words like that can work. So mm. yeah, I feel I've I've inner I've I've come across this before, and like it's such a it's such a divisive word. Cause to me, panties is like my, per that would be my preferred. Yeah, me too. I don't care. Word. Underwear sounds so technical. Like it's like, it's just like, <laughs> it's just like unsexy to me and like technical, but again, yeah. Like some people are like, Oh no, like whatever. And I think that, um, Ooh, a fun thing to chat about would be, um, 
preferred words for things like words that, um, so for example, like if someone like talking about breasts, right. Mm-hmm. It's like for some people, if they hear like titties, they're like, Ugh, or it's like, weird. I like, I don't mind tits, but titties, it's a bit too, I don't know. Like in see, bed, I wouldn't, I wouldn't I'm call it in bed. I wouldn't say titties. No, you wouldn't say that. I okay. would say boobs, <laughs> breath. I'm no, I'm just going through them. Um, boobs, breast, titties, chest, your bust. I don't know. Bosom. Bosom. <laughs> your I mammary glands. I don't know, Samantha. One of my exes used to refer to them as hoots. Hoots. And Hoots and not mine because I don't have big titties, but like one of our friends had like huge breasts and he referred to her breasts as hoots. And I was like, oh, like it just felt so gross to me. And because he knew I thought it was gross, Mm. he would like say it. You know what I mean? He would say it. But to me, it's like it's similar to like. Like cock and dick, it's like a dick has to be a certain size to be called a cock. Like you can't just like call any. (laughs) No wonder no one's ever called mine that. Uh, what about, but back to boobs. We got melons. We got tatas. I mean, there's so many words. Melons. They're all fine. I don't know. But again, it's like fine versus sexy, right? And it's like, I think about when I was younger, I had like, I could never use the word pussy. I was mm. always like, oh, like it always, it always grossed me out. And like, you know, you, we grew up in a similar time period and in a similar area. So there was a lot of words for it that mm-hmm. I was okay with. Mm-hmm that now really gross me out. Um, whereas okay. like pussy is my preferred. What term. about for a, for a dick pee pee? <laughs> right. Your pee pee. Immediately. <laughs> no, done. Like it's not it. Immediately like, orgasm. It. Even if you're talking to a family member, um, if you no. hear that word, I understand that's what you said. Uh, I'm going to quote <laughs> you on that. Uh, all right. Would you rather do it in an airplane, the mile high club in a car, the mile long club or in a boat? I guess that's the nautical mile club. Oh, well, I've, I've had sex in a car. It's like not ideal. Ugh, yes, yeah, it's, it's tight. It's, there's no room. You got the steering wheel, the chairs on, the chairs are meant for one. And it's also like literally like an always like, like on being on top situation. Mm-hmm. Cause I've only ever had sex with men in cars and it's like, I'm on top and I'm like, I hate this. Yeah. Like, this is not, I not want to like, lay down capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> it's the patriarchy right there i can't handle it those car those sexist car seats um yeah i think an airplane would also i'm gonna go boat i'm gonna go lots of room maybe some seasickness but you take the gravel or dramamine whatever you're fine whatever it is yeah Uh, i've done it on a train like on the seat because it was late at night and no one was in the car uh i was also in my teens that was fun (laughs) Yeah, I was actually talking about this yesterday with like a client about like when you're a teenager, you do all this like weird freaky sex because you have to because there's like nowhere else to do it. Right. And whereas like now as like an, an, a grown adult with my own home and all these things or like my own rented apartment, I should clarify um, the the prospect of like doing it. I was like actual like actually getting down. Like, I mean, I could handle like a little finger bang or something, but like literally like to like full blown fuck outside. I'm like, by no means like I. I just can't imagine that being fun um, or of interest to me at this stage. Whereas when you're young, it's like really exciting and like you want to do it and, and whatever. Plus, but where else are you going to do it when you're young? You don't have an apartment, yeah. you know, you're living with your parents. It's like, uh, have you, have you ever had sex in a cemetery? Yes. I've gotten a, really- I've gotten a oral sex in a cemetery mm-hmm. on R. Robert's grave. He died in 1927. Well, that oral sex is sex, right? Finger banging, handjobs. That's all Fair sex. Enough. So yeah, I, uh, 
I feel like that's like a, I don't know if it's just like a Toronto rite of passage to like fuck in a cemetery. But I feel <laughs> like everyone I know in our generation has had, sex. but there's so many, like there's just so many all over the city. Yeah. I'm a Especially- little more hardcore. I had sex in a cemetery in Oakland, California. So I'm, I'm badass. If okay. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, that was fun. Um, that, that was, that was, that was, that was, that was, I, and I'm not a cool guy. And I just had gone for a drink with this woman who I just met a tiki bar and she's like let's go for a walk and i'm like all right she's like let's go to that cemetery i'm like okay and then it just all happened and i'm just standing there i'm like is this really i'm not this just happens to cooler people than me right Um, yeah all right would you rather have adult activities sex that lasted five minutes or five hours five minutes yeah absolutely (laughs) it's good that's it's all (laughs) are you crazy uh would you rather have average sex every day or amazing sex once a month. Amazing once a month. Oh, we're on the same page here. Every day exhausting. Uh, would you <laughs> n- rather never be able to smash your dream partner? Or would you like to bang your dream partner, but then eh, regularly, maybe you, they're a regular partner of yours? Your dream partner. But now you're only allowed to eat at Olive Garden for the rest of your life. Oh, I'm taking the smashing the dream partner in Olive Garden. I love Olive Garden. Yeah, but every day, every meal? They have a huge menu, dog. Like I think. <laughs> uh, I mean, and your family. I mean, that's it's a very inviting environment. Um, that salad with the hot peppers. Yes. Well, you live in New York, so you have access to Olive Garden every time I'm in New York. <laughs> the one I go to Olive Garden, Times Square. In Times Square, oh, I absolutely. That's do. my personal hell. I have made like a midnight appoint appointment. What's it called? A reservation. I've literally <laughs> gone to Times Square. Olive Garden at midnight. Like, what the fuck Samantha, is wrong with for, you, for Samantha? You don't like I said. It's like you, it's the economics of desire. Like you have it there, <laughs> so you don't want it. Whereas, like Times I don't. Square is it. a nightmare, and Olive Garden. <laughs> now I gotta go just to see what it's like. That's got it. So it's good. all like the tourists, and it's just insanity, and the it's good. I love the chaos. I mean, I never go to any of the like tourist spots here right like i'm mm-hmm. never and i know like new york is a different monster but like i never have that kind of like chain experience where like hi welcome to da-da-da-da-da. my name is so-and-so like i love it it's just so nice and it's just like it's a nice you know kitschy thing to do and i enjoy i enjoy the the fettuccine alfredo like it's <laughs> it's legit you're gonna kill me um last one would you rather give or receive Oral sex. Oh, that depends. It's a tough one, huh? It's a real tough one because, like, if the person isn't any good at it and is, like, irredeemable, then I would rather give. Mm -hmm. But if they're, like, amazing at it or, like, they understand how to communicate, um, then I would rather receive. So it just – it's dependent on the other person. I'm the same way. Like, if the musk is great alignment – you know, like the pheromones, this, the, you know, there's certain junk where you're like, yes. And there's certain junk where you're like, no. And it has nothing to do with the, it's like, I don't know. It's almost like some primordial, like primal, like I'm into the way this person's BO smells or, or I'm not into the way. So if it's, if it's, if it's in alignment, it's a give, it's always a give definitely into the give. And if it's not in alignment, yeah, it's the receive. It's funny. We're the opposite. You're like, if it's in alignment, receive, uh, and if it's not in alignment, give. I'm if it's in alignment. You see what I'm saying? 
well, I know that I know how to give oral sex well. So I'm just like, yeah, well, at least we're going to have, at least we're going to both have a good time. What I would say though, about eating pussy specifically though, is that I feel like there's like two modes of it. Mm. And then there's like a perfect middle where it's like, there's people who eat it like really technically where mm. it's like, okay, they go in, they've got a plan. <laughs> and then there's people who eat it like they fucking love it. And then the, the perfect like oral sex on a pussy provider is able to like marry the two where it's like, okay, I'm responsive. It's like, I'm having a conversation with the pussy, but like, I also love it. So I think that there is, that's like as a receiver and as a giver, it's like, that's kind of where you try to find the, like, you know, I'm with you. Uh, I'd like to think that I'm both, but who knows? Uh, Let's ask Miranda what she. (laughs) She's she needs a very technical, like you know. uh, But I'm also really so. Sometimes when you're really into it, you get distracted and you forget the. Yeah. You you forget the the first principles because you're just like I'm into this, and then you don't do a good job. It's too intense, (laughs) not intense enough. But I I think that like I was having this conversation with my friend the other day about like who the best lovers in our lives have been, and it's always been the people who are the most enthusiastic. It's like not the person with like you know, whatever junk or they're the hottest person or they technically had good skill. Cause like I fuck people who have like excellent technical ability, but they're not present or they don't have like the enthusiasm. And I think that like making someone feel wanted is like the thing that makes someone a great lover. So even if someone's like, like if someone's going down on me and I can tell they're like distracted because they're just having the time of their life, I'm like, yay, this is the best possible scenario as opposed to someone who's like, Focus, like laser focused but they're you know? not you can tell they're not even into it if it's a dude they're, they're not, not even hard you know like that kind of stuff they're just doing a job yeah, you yeah, know yeah. and it's like i don't you know you claim to be really good and know you're really good at oral sex but isn't there such a wide variety of, of like there's got to be a person out there who for for them you're bad at oral sex because everything you think is good is not what they like I, I come on no because i disagree with that um Please do. For one, because I'm a nationally recognized expert. But no, I would say that um, because the way that I look at sex every time is that every time is the first time. Whether I've fucked someone a million times or it's my first time having sex with them, I treat it with like a posture of curiosity and as a conversation. So it's like I don't have like a one like mode or technique or anything like that that I'm like, oh, hey, this makes me great at sucking dick or whatever. It's that I'm like, I'm responding to the other person. And so for that reason, I feel really confident because chemistry, chemistry can be off. Like that's, that's something that's like real. Right. Um, But for the most part, because I, I'm always going into it being like, let's see what happens and being like open to like being guided in that way. I think that that's what makes me like really good at um, oral and all sex. All right. The judge uh, is ruling on your uh, counterclaim and I, I, I'm ruling in your favor. Fine. Uh, it's just for me. Like, I, I like to think I'm OK at oral sex, but like everyone, like there's people who like, you know, they may as well. You may as well use a belt sander. And then there's people like if you touch them with a feather, it's too much. You know, it, it's so hard to to know what you're getting into. I think that, yeah. And I, I think that with all sex, sometimes that we are constrained by our like physical parameters Right. Like, um, for example, I was on this dating app for a hot second, um, deleted it because of this very specific conversation. It's like an app that's like very specifically about, um, like it's for kink. It's for like, people who are like, yeah, I'm just like down to fuck whatever. And so 
uh, you tend to have like more spicy conversations out the gate, which is totally fine. I like people who are like direct, straightforward, whatever. And so this guy, I ma- I matched with him, and the first thing he asked me was like, "How well can you th- how how well can you deep throw?" And I was like, "Not well, to be honest. Like I have I have a really <laughs> strong gag reflex. That's not my area of like expertise." Um, and so if you're someone who like needs to be deep throated to like enjoy oral sex, then like, yeah, like I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be it. I'm not going to be good at it. And I think the same thing is true of like eating pussy or like yeah. any of those yeah. things, right? It's like certain physical parameters. Like if you have lockjaw, you're not necessarily going to be like, and someone has like a giant vulva, like you're not going to necessarily be like the best at it for yeah. that person i have been with exactly one person who can quote unquote deep throat you see it in pornography you think it's gonna yeah. be good it's fucking painful dude I, not for Ooh. me i did it was yeah. like no thank you i never stop you know that's <laughs> i don't know how can people like that it hurts i mean there's I mean, I, yeah yeah, yeah. And I, I, right? I know i know the like, answer to that question already yeah. how can, it, whenever you have to answer the ask the question how can people like that that's in many cases precisely why they like it well, I also think, you know, and I think the reason why that question turned me off so much is that so often, I just don't want to say so often, in my experience, people who are interested in deep throating are not interested in it for like the sensation, they're interested in it for the like, um, submissiveness, the degradation, those sorts of things, which is like not my personal vibe. So I immediately I could tell I was like, not going to be like aligned with this person if that was like the out the gate vibe with with that person for someone else it might be like really turned on by that question and be like oh i can't but teach me you know like i don't know it's not me but yeah there you have it uh just a little psa right now um i'm not recommending anyone masturbate with a belt sander because i think you can only do that once if you know what i'm saying uh what i'm saying is you'll sand off your genitals um earlier we were talking about art as a way to experience the range of humanity and I want to create work like that. And so what I like to do is oscillate between stupid, silly, fun, surreal, you know, odd um, to serious. And I want to have a conversation with you about sober sex and dating because we're both. Uh, can I say you're an alcoholic? I don't know what you're. Yes. Supposed yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I am a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. I'm a sober I or I'm a sober alcoholic in long term recovery. Like that's. Yeah. Which yeah. Is something that I'm struggling with because. I've been dating someone on and off, mostly on, for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And ever since I lost my job in November, I've been having a bit of a tough time with drinking. Like, I don't want to be around it. And I don't know mm-hmm. how much I'm using this as an excuse because I'm a misanthrope and I don't want to be around people and I'm depressed and it's a convenient excuse. I don't want to be around drinking, so I don't have to go out. Or it's just I'm struggling. It's, honestly, Samantha, if I'm being honest with myself, it's a bit of both. Um, yeah. But I, I imagine you have a lot of thoughts around navigating this, not in my specific example, but in general. Uh, how do you approach dating someone when you drink or you use drugs and that person's completely sober and, and they struggle with it? Yeah, I mean, I so as you know, um, I've been sober uh, for a little over eight years. And so I got sober at like 28 when I was turning 29. I was married at the time. Um, so obviously I'd had sex with that person, um, not intoxicated. I shouldn't say obviously. <laughs> <laughs> you had sex with them, not 
intoxicated. Not, I did. Yes. Like I, I, I believe that over the course of our relationship, there were times where we had sex where I was not intoxicated in some way or another. That could be a lie though. Like I, you know, everyone has like a different version of themselves or what I should say is that I have a version of myself of what my drinking and drug using looked like. And it wasn't until I was like six months sober that I was able to look back and be like, oh, like, I really, really did have a problem with drugs and alcohol. And I'm someone who started drinking and using when I was 12. Wow. So like the first time I ever like kissed someone, the first time I was ever like finger banged, like the first time I ever gave a hand job, anything, I was intoxicated. And so getting sober as like a grown adult and then leaving my marriage uh, and going on dates for the first time, having sex for the first time, being sober, being fully conscious of like everything. Uh, it was very uh, nerve wracking. And I think to, you know, to answer your question, it's like people would, I would make it really clear, like I'm sober, I'm a sober alcoholic also. Um, and so I'm not comfortable with you drinking or like using drugs while we're on a date, right? And I maintained that policy for like, until now, you know, and I would say that in the time that I've been sober, I've hooked up with a lot of people. <laughs> three to 3,000, somewhere three, between three. You know, I, you know, I did some, I, I left a marriage, I did some whole shit, but um, in that entire time, in the eight years, I've only ever hooked up with someone twice who was, who had been drinking and I had. Um, you mean at the time, you don't mind if people drink just at the time. Oh, at the time of us hooking up. Yeah. And in the eight years that I have been sober, I, to speak to your point about like, I'm having a really hard time with it right now. I have had periods where I look at alcohol and it's like, it's like Westworld. Like, I don't see, I'm like, what alcohol? Like, I don't see it. Yeah. Um, and then I have times where I feel like overcome with how powerful it is. And and that's the thing about drugs and alcohol is that they are a tool to change how we feel. Like we drink and use drugs to because we like the effect it produces. And, you know, there are times when I can't be around alcohol. I can't smell it. I can't I don't want to be around people who are using it. Uh, and then there are times where I feel completely neutral. And so the way I navigate that in my current relationship is there is a very um, established dynamic of like if that person wants to have a drink or if we're going out, um, they check in with me. Yeah. And it's like a, I can either, there are times when I'm like, yeah, I don't care, whatever, no big deal. And then there are times where I'm like, yeah, actually, like I can't, um, I can't have that around me right now. I'm starting to develop that muscle of that check-in. My girlfriend checks in on me. But I, I want to rewind a little bit to what you said. You said in the late in your late 20s, you started mm -hmm. having sober sex. And did you kind of have to learn how to have it again in some sense? I absolutely had to learn how to have sex, yes. Um, yeah. Just do, do you think figuring that out as an adult, like in your late 20s, help you become a sex educator? Because you're, you're so mature while you're figuring out that stuff in some sense for the first time. And you really do it in a smart way as opposed to figuring it out when you're in your teens and you're just an idiot, right? Oh, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that. Well, I, I was an idiot in my yeah. teens. Fine. You weren't. I was. I, you know, I, I don't want to invalidate all of the years that I spent having sex while intoxicated. You know, like when we think about 
consent and all those things. It's like legal consent is sober. Most people I know, and most people who've ever used substances in their lives, um, have used them while having sex, have always had sex for the first time while drunk, like wine and dine is a thing for a reason, you know what I mean? And like, there are plenty of wanted experiences I had while using drugs and alcohol. The thing I had to learn being sober is that like, sex is super awkward. Um, you're like hyper aware of your body and everything that's like weird about a body and mm -hmm. all the things that we're taught to be like ashamed about. I think that it's gendered. I think that there's a lot of layers. Does it make me a better sex educator? Yes, but I was a sex educator before I got sober. Okay. And so it definitely added a layer to my practice and I don't judge like, I, I think it's important to name that, like, I don't judge intoxicated sex. Like, people get intoxicated to have sex for a whole range of reasons. And I think that one of the things that I've learned as a sober person is that, you know, inhibition is something that I have to be more intentional about in a way. Although that might sound kind of, like, counter intuitive no i get it it's tough to lose those ambitions when you don't when you're not having don't have the aid of, aid of substances right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i find that like honestly i i truly have like the best sex of my life in sobriety um because i'm fully present because after the fact i feel like confident in everything that happened um it doesn't mean i still don't have regrets or that i don't do shit that i'm like oh, i wish i didn't do that um I have less of an emotional hangover after sex as, as someone in sobriety. And um, yeah, I mean, I've had the range of partners who've been like super respectful of it. And then I've had like, you know, hookups show up to my house, like with alcohol, even though I've said to them, like, nah. Get the hell you know out of I mean? here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, like it, I find it very, to me, it's like a red flag. Like if someone like, they know I'm sober. I've expressed like that I want to have hookups sober. If they show up and I can smell alcohol on them or I can smell weed or um, they bring alcohol to me, it's like a big red flag. I'm just like, oh, okay, like you, like I understand and I empathize with them, but I'm like, we're not going to be compatible sexually because I'm in a place where I want to connect on that level. And like, you're obviously not in that place and like, peace be with you, but like, it's not the vibe. Yeah. It's not the act in and of itself. It's, it's also the ignoring of boundaries, right? Mm, and just energetically, it's like when I'm getting to know someone, I'm like, I want to get to know them. And I don't, and like substances alter your state of being. Like I have a, I have a partner who is like very, um, ADHD, like, so like, diagnosed whatever sure and he uses weed to manage his adhd which again it's like people do what they do whatever and when we would first hook up i'd be like no weed blah 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 and he would just be all over the place couldn't focus like whatever and then now what now that i've gotten to know him i feel way more comfortable and i'm like my preference is for him to have smoked weed before we hang out because i'm like okay you're like dialed in yeah <laughs> like, you can, like needs it chill. you can actually be present um and so i think yeah i think there's a range and there's a range of comfort and i just think that the most important thing to acknowledge is that like it's not like one size fits all or like an umbrella thing like i know plenty of people who are sober addicts who have no problem being around alcohol and drugs in partnerships but i just think it's like you know it it ebbs and flows and you said the thing about like you know since you lost your job or like since 
that however you want to frame it sure i got canned the show got canceled who cares i mean they're they're fucked but the you know like there's elements of stress and and uncertainty in your life like of course that's going to amplify the part of you that's like huh i want to change how i feel and this like way of changing it all of a sudden can feel like an option again or like in this pandemic it's like the I've had moments where I've been the closest to drinking I've ever been in my entire sobriety, you know? And it's like, okay. Yeah, that's where I've been at the last three months. I haven't done it. I'm not going to do it, but it's just, I feel so close to it. I'm like, I'm, I'm probably going to get the booze out of my house soon. That was one thing that was interesting that happened to me when I quit drinking. I was able to actually keep booze in my house, Mm. like for my girlfriend, for guests, whoever, because I just wasn't drinking it as before. If it was in the house, I go through it. Um, I want to just go over something that happened to me. Miranda and I got in this blowout. It actually, it's gotten a lot better since, but she called me a misanthrope because I didn't like going out and having fun and dancing. And I basically said, I've always found dancing painful ever since I was a teenager. And I always used alcohol and drugs to get into it. And so I would go to concerts. I'd go to like electronic music festivals. I'd be on the floor rolling my ass off uh, and grooving, you know, embarrassing looking like a real white dude doing the weird Jew shuffle that I do, but dancing. And now I just can't, I, I just can't bring myself to dance. It's just too painful for me. It's awkward. And she was saying, well, so-and-so's boyfriend goes out and dances with them. And I, I so I went out with so-and-so and so-and-so's boyfriend and they were all trashed and they kept offering yeah. me drinks, you know, and oh. I kept saying, I don't drink, I don't drink, I don't drink. Got a bit annoying. Um, so there is a part of me that's like, yes, I, I am a misanthrope and I've always used alcohol to just get into things. Uh, and she's starting to see that it's not so bad that I don't want to be around those things. But, um, well, first of all, what do you what do you make of that? Should I just bite the bullet? Should I just go out and dance or should no. I just? Okay. I, I mean, so, I, I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm talking to another sober person. I feel like if it was one of her friends, she'd be like, bite the bullet and get on the fucking dance floor. I, okay. So what I would say about that is that in some ways, having sex sober and like learning to like be like uninhibited and all of that stuff is way easier than learning to be uninhibited in like a public place, going dancing. Like I remember the first time I ever went out um, without drugs or alcohol. And first of all, I was like, wow, this is so inexpensive. Like I, I, was like I don't I don't have to like spend money like I used to have to hide money on myself like on my body when I would go out drinking because there was no it was like once a certain limit had been passed it was like who knows what was going to happen financially like so I would like hide money on my person um so first of all it was very inexpensive and then also I was very aware when I was having a good time and I wasn't and I was like oh it's so cool that I don't have to chase having a good time I'm just gonna fucking leave I'm gonna go get like Popeyes or whatever. Popeyes not sponsoring this podcast. Not yet. Um, (laughs) Not yet. And, um, you know, and so that, that's that awareness of self and that awkwardness and whatever. And now arguably it's like, when I go out, if I'm like not feeling it, like if I'm not feeling like the DJ or the environment or whatever it is, or who I'm with, I won't go. And I don't think, I think it's, but then I'm the boyfriend who never goes out. 
So the fuck but what? Also- Everybody else needs to understand that like there's discomfort in life that is important to push through. Yep. And then there's discomfort that you don't have to push through. And I just don't think that you should have to put yourself in a position where your boundaries are not being respected. You're feeling uncomfortable. You're in a position to be like white knuckling mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. which is dangerous yep. for us because it's it doesn't matter. At a certain point, it's not even about whether we drink or not. It's like, I don't want to live in hell. That's why I got sober. So if this situation is making me feel emotionally, physically, spiritually like that, then it's not it. You know, and I and I do think that people need to acknowledge that that is ableism. Like it is ableism to think that we as like people with substance abuse problems or past or present should have to overcome that to like be more fun. Yeah. Fuck off. Okay, I'm with you, but it's also bizarre. Like I can go out and just stand on the edge of the dance floor in a confident power pose, just smiling, neutral look on my face. I don't even look at my phone. I'm just standing there awkwardly and I feel very comfortable in my own skin. And Miranda's like, that's not normal. What's normal is going and dancing. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm fine here. I'm just leave me alone. I, I don't want to dance. I'm standing here. I don't feel awkward. I mean, I always feel awkward, but no more than usual. Um, so I, I do make a comp- compromise. I mentioned all this having said that we've resolved it. Uh, one of the ways we resolved it, and, and maybe you'll agree with this, maybe not, maybe you have other ideas for this, just picking activities and socializing not centered around alcohol. So saying not saying no or saying yes to stuff that is like going to museums, traveling, going to shows, hanging out with friends, going to dinner. Like there's so many things. So my on my end, the way that I've sort of addressed her concern of being the do-nothing misanthrope is it's a yes when it's not centered around alcohol more. <laughs> and it's like she's more comfortable with the no when it is centered around alcohol. That's how we met in the middle. Yeah, and I and I think that that is the the important compromise. And I don't think it's misanthropic to like not want to go out and be around people. Like, it's it can be you know you've acknowledged like I'm someone who experiences depression. I'm someone who experiences anxiety. It's like it's a lot. Like yeah. it's a lot to go out and be around people. And don't take that I, label from me. Don't take misanthrope yeah. from me. I, I'm channeling Larry David I'm sorry, here. Honey, I you know I I have anyway. I that's why all of my. Everything I do is activity centered. That's why I play softball. That's why I do board games. That's why I go bowling. That's why, you know, my Valentine's Day date was going to the batting cages. Like I need, I love like a structured beginning, middle and end activity, whether it's like a date with a lover or like a date with friends. And I mean, for me, it's part of the reason why I'm non-monogamous is because, you know, just because I don't drink and party, my partner does. Like he likes to, you know, my partner, whatever, he likes to go to drum and bass parties. He likes to do whatever. And I'm like, cool. And I think it's fair that you want to do that like with a lover. It's just not me. So I feel the same way about it in some ways as I do is like, he wants to go for like a hike or a bike ride. That said, he and I did get in a screaming fight the other day and we don't fight about him potentially going on a date with someone for the first time to like a rave. And I was just like, I am activated by this extremely. <laughs> when me and Miranda weren't like uh, monogamous, I, I was like, even though we were just casually dating, seeing other people, whatever, I was like, you can't, I, I had such a weird trigger about ecstasy. I'm like, you can't take ecstasy mm. with anyone else or I will die. Like I'll yeah. lose my shit. So I can relate to you for sure. I was really, and like. Again, and there's ecstasy at raves, right? I mean, that's that's the rave drug. And the thing is, is that I don't have an issue with, 
him doing whatever it is that he does in his social time. Mm-hmm. What For whatever reason, that notion made me feel very threatened and upset. And like, it felt very insensitive. And we like later were able to like unpack it and talk about it. And I was just like, I would like to get to a place where I feel comfortable with you, you know, partying with someone else in that way. Um, it's not today. And yeah. And he, um, he understood and accepted that. And I think that that can be, you know, the thing about sober sex and dating is that we really do need to have those boundaries and that we're entitled to those boundaries and that partners um can come to understand like through empathy and like through conversations is like i think that part of the screaming fight ultimately what it boiled down to is that he was like i don't have a problem with substances and i said well i fucking do <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> That's I, fun. Like, I love it i fucking do you know and um yeah. And, you know, it escalated from there, which was amazing. Like, I personally hadn't screamed in so long. So for me, I was like, oh, yeah. Cathartic, <laughs> right? <laughs> Nothing like a good blowout and then a makeup, right? You know what? We didn't have makeup sex, though. Yeah. Overrated. But, but, uh, but, I, but I, No, that's a lie and you know it. <laughs> I mean, I can't do it. I, but, I, but I do like a blowout and a makeup, just a non-sexual makeup, because it's just very cathartic, right? I feel like it would have been more cathartic for me if we'd smashed after, but it had gotten, it had gotten intense and, um, he was feeling, he was emo after. And I was like, I'm also emo, but Mm. like, yeah, it didn't, it just kind of had to fizzle and we had to like sit quietly. Um, instead of like the horny kind of fight where you're like, okay, now we have to, you know, uh, yeah. All this to say, like, it brought him to a deeper level of understanding, I think, with me of, like, just because I'm sober eight years, just because I haven't drank or used drugs does not mean that I will ever, like, not be at risk for that happening. And, you know, I have to respect that more than anyone else has to. And I just don't, like, if someone doesn't, then they're not in my life. I'm with you. All right, oscillating back to stupid. Good activities to do sober dating. Uh, curling lessons? Curling is good. Um, I think, I mean, but okay, in fairness, I am an Aries and I am very competitive and I'm very like sports oriented. For example, uh, I play sports with Jacob. We played sports yesterday and then we had a date and had like really fun. Like by date, I mean, we like ordered food and fucked and then like went to sleep. That's a date. But I was like, I really like playing sports with him and like competing with him. And then like, for me, that's like a turn on. I like playing sports and then hooking up. Do you like winning and then hooking up or losing and then hooking up or kind of both? Both are good. Like yeah. both, both are good for me. Um, there's sports where he excels and then there's sports where I excel. Like we, but we, we do enjoy competing with each other. And then like, but he's also near. So I would have to say that competitive things games sports is like a fun date for some people that's like mortifying sure um for some people they're like let's go do like a painting class or like what i don't i don't know i as much as i love crafts i'm like that i can't think of anything that would be more would make my pussy more dry (laughs) than like going to like a painting class with like a potential lover like i I just i don't know what if you got the nude model it's uh you know i can't paint though so 
it's never a nude model though it's always like here is a picture of like a rainbow sky with like a tree like it's never sexy yeah bob, bob ross isn't sexy he's uh, he's soothing but not sexy yeah what about you what would you would you go to a painting class? like would that be what would be like a horny date for you and miranda that's sober god i mean fucking before the date dates aren't to me like going out like i i i I like to do an activity and then be tired afterward and it's late i like going to shows so musicals theater like that's that's i'm big on that um even a movie but it's usually sex first and then the activity i don't i don't know that there's a there's an activity outside of the house where we really get like horny coming home right yeah because you get tuckered out right yeah just want to go home late watch tv you know it's yeah um <laughs> you had mentioned bowling in the past is is that yes. a good one yeah i love bowling i i think Those it's like it's, balls are disgusting you're gonna get i don't know a, jar, a jaundice just from touching it you're gonna get diphtheria i won't touch those balls and i don't, don't want to buy my own i'm not good enough at ball those things are disgusting samantha if you go to five pin you don't have to put your fingers in it's oh. just the little ball yeah All and right. then you just sanny you're like mm. Okay, good to know. We learned something today. So this show does have educational merit. Five-pin bowling, not as disgusting as regular. Ten-pin? Yeah, ten-pin. I'm not saying it's not gross. It's mad gross, for sure. But then same, it's like you're putting your feet in some gross-ass shoe. Like, it is gross, but it's it's a silly game that I think you can be really good at or you can suck at and you can still have a nice time. I think I'm just resentful because when I was a kid, you, you grew up in Toronto, but I, I am a Jew, so we all were like Bathurst is the Mecca for the Jews or I guess the, the temple. There's a Bolorama, a Bolorama, Bathurst Bolorama, and it's yeah. like there's boogers everywhere, kids running around. They don't wax the floor because it's just not a nice... I didn't even know that they do wax the floor. So I would always take a step past the line to get a little closer and cheat. You know, that was my thing. And yeah. then I go to a proper bowling alley when I'm like 20 with my friends and of course, they're waxing the lane. I didn't even know you wax the lane. So I like go to cheat. I take a step on the lane and I completely fall straight on my head. Everyone's laughing. So I think I'm just resentful of bowling because of that. It's definitely like an embarrassing, like there's a lot of opportunities for embarrassment. In bowling. With bowling. Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I would say. I got yeah. IBS and they always serve greasy food. So I eat the, the <laughs> French fries and then I'm taking a dump in the bathroom, smelling the whole place up. I mean, a lot of opportunities. Samantha, is there anything else you wanted to cover? This was really nice. It was it was like so wonderful talking to you in this format. It just felt like a, a wonderful conversation. I'm, I'm looking forward to having you back. Yeah, it's always a nice time talking to you. And I think that all of our best conversations always happened off off camera so to speak um while we we spent a year together yeah we're we're our best when no one's listening (laughs) yeah i would say uh but this felt more like the off-air conversation than the uh the sanitized like we've done in the past for for corporate america can i ask you one question before we conclude this just because we were talking about yes do you make jokes while you're having sex uh with my ex-wife i did a lot Okay. With Miranda, only after she's orgasmed. <laughs> she's just, she's so, she's so, uh, she's going to hate that I'm comparing her to me. Uh, in general, with strangers or hookups in the past, definitely. How else am I getting laid if I'm not making jokes? I'm not a good looking guy. I'm not no, a like cool guy. No, like during the sex, no, I, though. I know, but it's like a lead up to the sex is jokes. And so during the sex is jokes. Uh, this one person that I was dating a comedian once I was doing stand up. She was doing stand up. It was like, 
it was like so cringy. We're just cracking jokes the whole time, but it was nice. Um, I do, I do it less with Miranda, but I do. Why do you, do you? I do. And I didn't, I didn't realize that this was like, maybe not like a common thing because Jacob this morning said to me, he's like, you, he's like, I've never had a partner who makes like funny jokes, like, wow, we're having sex. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that everyone wasn't a sexy clown. Like, I didn't know that that was, like, unique to me. So there's two things that are very unique to me. One is that I, like, diligently watch someone put a condom on, mm-hmm. like, like step by step. Sure. Um, which I didn't, again, I didn't know that other hoes weren't watching. And then that I make jokes. And I was just like, oh, uh, okay. We, we have this good joke. Miranda's going to kill me. Uh, it was, like, very early on into our relationship. Um, I was, you know, keen on performing analingus what a great word analingus i love analingus uh, it's one of the great words yeah <laughs> um and she said without even thinking without even joking like no no david not i i've had a big dinner and i just thought that was the funniest thing in the world and so now it's just like if one of us isn't in the mood it's like code for not tonight or we need to wait an hour it's just i've had a big dinner and not just for analingus but that's how it started fair enough yes we make jokes but during the actual physical act of it um it can pull her out of the moment. And so I usually do it towards the end when it's my time to shine. And, you know, okay. after she's finished and then I take 15 seconds to finish, you know, because I'm a really cool guy who's great at sex. you're a gentleman. I'm a yeah. fucking gentleman. <laughs> uh, uh, Samantha, I'm, I, I, one of the great things that I always screwed up when interviewing you was I would give people your Instagram wrong. But I believe it's Samantha underscore Biddy. That's B-I-T-T-Y. Did I get it right? That is it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I, I usually have these big intros and extras written out, but people want to find you. They If they've made it this far, they know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really post anymore, but there's many years worth of content that someone can enjoy. Content, content, content. There you have it. <sighs> what a great pleasure. Samantha, thank you so much. Thanks, David. Is that it? Is that, that's yeah. the whole thing? That's, I'm, still, I'm still rolling. So, I mean, okay, fine. Goodbye. Bye. 